think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, it's episode 75 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 76th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. <laughs> it's in Rainville. Um, so a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks. We've had... Uh, <laughs> We've had the International Grand Committee on uh, Big Data, Privacy, and Democracy, I think is the, the subtitle of that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of movement on that front. We've had the release of the Missing and, Women, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls report and the sort of controversial finding of, of a genocide. Uh, the NDP releases climate policy. The Greens release their climate policy, waiting on the Conservatives. Um, should be should be out by next week, I imagine. Should we imagine. So... That leaves us with a lot of things, um, most of which we kind of want more time to digest and, and get into a, in a little more detail later when we can get, do them more justice. So we won't be diving into any of those big topics, unfortunately. Uh, but we are hitting the last, the real home stretch here at this point of, uh, of the session, sitting both actually in this case and parliament really yes. with the exception that there may be a short recall of the house um in july possibly well you're you're hoping i'm for hoping maybe in july yeah it could be an extension of the setting well i'm going on setting. i'm going on vacation at the end of the month so they'll have to do without me if that's the case <laughs> <laughs> we okay, don't you want to just pause that <laughs> just go feed him Beep. Okay, that was, uh, sorry, that was the intern getting a little, uh... Fancy. This is dinner time, so we have to, have to go take care of that. Um, That's what happens when you only get fed twice a day. I, so, honestly, if I got fed twice a day, I would spend a lot of my day screaming my head off. <laughs> so, fair enough. I really can't, I'm not, I'm in no position to judge. Um, so, yeah, so there might be the recall of the house in, in July, uh, or possibly just an extension of, of the sitting into, uh, into early July. Uh, to do the NAFTA legislation really quick. There's the NAFTA legislation. There's also been sort of a, a recent extra add-on for anyone following the Steel File uh, very closely. Oh, one of my favorite series of books, by the way. The Steel File. It just sounds plausible. <laughs> I don't think it's a real thing. Um, is that the government actually recently introduced another piece of legislation, um, C-101, uh, fun fact about C-101. The last time there was a C-101, according to Legis Info, uh, was in the 94 to 96 session of parliament. Though, to be fair, Legisinfo, I believe, on, only goes back that far to like the 93. Yeah, yeah. around there, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take it. Fair enough. So, um, there, there may be older ones, but Jen just doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, it, if it's not on the website, then I, I it doesn't exist. I didn't look into it. No, it's all gone. Um, but nonetheless, interesting and a largely a result of the fact that there has been no. Uh, adjournment in this uh, prorogation, or prorogation yeah. of this government. Yeah, yes. there, there have been multiple adjournments. As we've described before, um, I don't know how recently we, we last said this, but this is actually the first full-length majority government parliament um, that has gone by without a single prorogation yes. in Canadian history. Yes, which is, I mean, somewhat interesting. I, I It's a trivia fact more than really yeah, I, interesting. I can't, but I can't give you a particularly good reason why. Uh, the government has never sort of felt the need to reset its legislative agenda while yeah. sort of doing that at various points with introducing, for instance, criminal justice legislation that uh, subsumed earlier criminal justice legislation that they'd introduced. Yeah. Um, for instance, that's sort of one bill area, a whole bunch of other bills sort of cluttering up the order paper and never going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but that's So I don't know what goes. happens to the order paper 
of the Senate when the House is adjourned. Well, Parliament, I guess, or not adjourned, sorry. <laughs> Parliament gets prorogued. It's not just the House or the Senate. So is part of I mean, this. This is actually an area of ignorance for me. I can I can probably tell you. Yeah. I'm smarter. No, I know you. You follow the Senate very closely. Bigger so. brain. With your extremely large head. Yes. <laughs> um, and as we've learned in Quillette this week, that's a uh, obviously something that matters a lot. Um, Race Science Monthly. Race Science Quarterly. Apologies. Um, everyone reads that magazine. But yeah. So what happens to the order paper in the Senate if Parliament's prorogued? Does it like clear? Because I think that's. Largely, what happens in to the House? The Senate is same as the House. Okay, the, it's all wiped. So is that? But you can the, do the like re no, less so. Okay, that that may be I think a big part of the issue. The then. the Senate it's harder to reinstate. Yeah, so for legislation people, for people who are not procedure people in the House, you can basically come back and say like, actually, we're just gonna put everything back the way it was. Yes, yeah, so you wave you, your wand. You, you introduce a motion to basically reinstate everything. Yeah. Um, where it was, but as I understand it, the Senate has less formal procedure for that. Okay. And so it's a little more wishy-washy so in order may, to reinstate legislation. That sounds to me like that would be a big factor in why they haven't prorogued Parliament then, because they've had so much stuff just sitting in the Senate. Not always, though. I mean, there have been instances where that's not really the case. No, no, sure, but like 262, for instance, which is uh, Romeo Saganash's private member's bill on the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, has just been sitting in the Senate for like a year and a half. Like, if they had prorogued, it would have just gotten axed. And the same is true of... No, like, but it to have just have been reset. See, now I, now I need to look at my Senate procedure. Yeah. Now. Because private members' bills are often exceptions in terms of procedure. They, I mean, they have different procedure sure. so let's take than, a government than government bill, bills. Let's take a government bill as an example, then. Uh, then... Like I'm, 58, right? The one that just recently has been causing so much consternation we talked about it at length in the last episode would have i mean it depends when it was it's hard, it's hard to speculate um if it were at second reading it basically you know it would have been reinstated at second reading okay in the senate well in, in the senate maybe, maybe it goes back to first reading but first reading is it's just reading it yes yes it, it's, also did you guys so they can just dispense they can just be like basically the speaker says shall i dispense and then people are like yes and then and it's done. In, in what context? Like actually reading the bill. Well, yes. Yeah, it's kind of fun. But, so, here's a, a trivia fact for us. First reading in, you know, House of Commons and Senate procedure these days is basically just a formality. They say, like, introduction and first reading often go hand in hand. Yeah. And then, boom, it's done. And then it goes on to second reading, which is where MPs start to debate. Yeah. The reason that stage exists, though, is because first reading Once Upon a Time was the stage at which the speaker actually read the text of the bill. Yes. But that makes sense when bills are... Two pages. A, a, yeah, yeah. Un, under a dozen pages, but when you have omnibus legislation that's 800 pages long and photocopiers, um, it's safe to say you just let the photocopier do the job. Yeah, it's a little easier in that case. Yeah. So first reading is basically a formality at this point that bills go through. Um, and then we're back to sort of the the rest of procedures, Hank reading, committee, report, report. stage, etc. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the Senate has been interesting. And, I mean, we've been intending and still intend to get someone on Senate procedure at, at some time soon to go through it a little more detail. Um, because the Senate is really, as, as we talked about in the last episode, um, the locus of a lot of the government's concerns right now. Producive and, locus. And today has been 
It was a good. It was legitimately a good use of the word locus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm never sure. Um, and today alone was actually uh, many very interesting things happened in terms of the Senate uh, on three of the more let's say controversial or uh, yeah I'll, I'll stick with controversial uh, pieces of legislation. So the Senate leadership once upon a time uh, a few weeks back um, did their grand bargain. Uh, where they agreed on essentially timetables for third, uh, I mean for report stage and third reading or committee stage and uh, jumping third, all over the place. Third reading votes on various pieces of legislation, about twelve pieces of legislation. Uh, not included in that were a few particularly salient pieces these days. Uh, Forty-eight, which is the oil tanker ban. Uh, As we talked about Alan last week. Yes, uh, sixty-eight, which is the revised Fisheries Act. Um, and 69, nice. which of course is the environmental assessments bill, environmental yes. assessments bill, which has been so thoroughly amended by oil industry lobbyists that it just says oil is cool and crayon <laughs> and is going back to the house like that. So that'll be an interesting showdown. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of where we are today, right? So let, let's talk about those quickly one by one. Uh, last we left it, 68 had been voted not to proceed, uh, at committee stage. 58. Uh, no. Not fisheries. For, 48. Fip, yeah, sorry. 48. God, this, why are they all eights? Yeah, I know. 58 is the access information bill. That yeah. just, that just yes. yeah, they just yes. did the Senate amendments on that. So it's back in the House now. Yes. Yeah. Um, 59 is the national security one. Yes. That's way too. Sent. Yes. <laughs> if, if, if you want to confuse people even more. Yes. Um, so 48, um, I know there are some questions, but as, as we stated... Uh, today, the Senate voted to allow it. I mean, they voted to reject the committee report, and the committee report was to reject the bill. Yeah. So they rejected the rejection. Yes. So the double negative has become a positive, and as I understand it, basically, the legislation proceeds to third reading in the Senate. Very good. Um, Sixty-eight was the Fisheries Act, and had the potential to be somewhat controversial. Um, I think there was, you know, good faith attempts to amend it between conservative senators and ISG senators. Um, and so that passed basically with uh, little consternation. Was there anything interesting in the fisheries bill? Um, not, not my very expertise, so. I mean, not that I would point out to a lay person. Um, but to a fish person, what would you say? <laughs> sort of murloc of sorts. <laughs> I mean, perhaps the most interesting bit for a lay person, and this is what uh, 68 has made news for lately, was there was a, I think it was a Senate uh, public bill, which is the Senate version of a PMB. That's, so it's basically the private school, public school thing, but yes. for the House of Commons and the Senate. Um, on the banning of shark finning and the right. importation of cetaceans and stuff like S203. that. S203. Um, well, two different bills, right? S231 and S203. Yes. Yeah. Which is where this quickly becomes convoluted. Um, but basically, the government saw that the shark fin ban. Uh, bill was not going to pass in time so they cribbed a bunch of that language tacked it on to 68 harder did this um in committee mm -hmm. and are pa and are going to pass the bill with that new language i see um which is you know how the government the options the government has if it wants to pass uh private members bills that are, are going to pass yeah makes sense um, and then that takes us to C69. Nice. Uh, <laughs> which got a 
fairly thorough rewriting at committee stage. In crown. Uh, as as Laurent <laughs> would believe, or would have you believe. Um, to the point where, I mean, a lot of the amendments were from the ISG, um, as well as were um, to accommodate a lot of the conservative Senate's uh, positions. Um, and so now you have a bill that basically everyone agrees on in the Senate, um, which is where this gets, I mean, not everyone, obviously, but the majority of senators agree on. Um, there was some, you know, some cursory attempts to amend it uh, by senators who felt like their voices weren't heard throughout the standard ISG process that was agreed to in committee over the past few days. Um, and, a lot of that in the Senate. Yeah. Bruised egos. Well, in this case, it was ISG senators, uh, particularly indigenous ISG senators, who wanted to include UNDRIP um, as a consideration. In right, it. which is, yeah, I mean, um, we've got C-262, as we mentioned, sort of but that, sitting. But that wasn't part of the negotiated ISG package. Right. And so they introduced it as a third reading amendment. Which probably won't get Which through. didn't pass. Yeah. And Harder took the position that, you know, I am not going to vote yay on any uh, amendments at third reading because there are already 190 amendments. Let's send it over to the House of Commons and see what the hell happens there. Which will be interesting. Which, I am which actually a bit of a, where it gets very. I'm a bit of a loss. I honestly have no idea what's going to happen to that bill. Like I'm really at a bit of a loss to, to try and see where that's going to go. So, so if you walk around downtown Ottawa, by the way, you will see billboards everywhere that are like no one bill C sixty nine from like every organization you can pretty well think of that is aligned with like the resource extraction sector. Um, there has been a lot of money put into making sure this bill does not pass in its original form. Um, so I think it will be very interesting to see what happens when it's back in the House. Well, so this is the question, right? It's, I mean, it's going to go back to the House. So it passed third reading in the Senate uh, with 190 or 187 or whatever, a lot whatever of the number is. Amendments. So a, a virtual rewrite of the bill. Um, so now it's back in the government's hands. And I'm sure the government has been deliberating on this. It's one of their more controversial pieces of legislation. Um, there's the questions of what political constituencies are they looking to appease um, in advance of the election, um, be it you know industry or specific geographic, environmental concerns, etc. Um, I mean, the text of the legislation is so dense as to be incredibly difficult for a lay for a layperson to interpret. Yeah. A lot of uh, bills that are basically, like, section whatever of this act that will now read this, and then you have to, like... Consult the other act yeah, and know a, what it looked like before and what this means in practice yeah, and it's all, a fair all the bit rest of, of it. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big job. So, I mean, anyone who looks, you know... No, there, there's many cases uh, over the course of this podcast where I've advocated for people to look at primary sources. Yes. Right? Because this is a place where that's difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. it, right? Yeah. I had to d I had to take a look at the Senate amendments to C-58, the Excellence Information uh, Reform Bill, recently. And, like, that was, frankly, an ordeal. Like, it was just really quite a bit of work to sort of, like, look at the amendments that made changes to the text of the bill that made changes to the text of the already existing act. And, like, yes. to figure out exactly what, e what each one did was, like, you know, it's doable, but it's a reasonable amount of work and certainly takes some, like, focus and having, like, three windows open that you're sort of, like, using as, like, kind of a flow chart. It's, it's, it's work. And so with this one, you have to put that and then into the broader context of 
what the environmental assessment process yes, in Canada and is. I already know the access information process, so if I, I don't know as much, would, yeah, yeah, much it would have been a simpler process. <laughs> much right? simpler compared to environmental assessment, yes. Uh, which is what makes this bill so dense and so complex uh, to evaluate, and which is where you know you lean on stakeholders and industry yeah. and wh- whichever groups that are interested in it to provide analysis because this isn't something where I would ever recommend a layperson go look at the bill because you're not no one's getting anything out of it no it will not be helpful uh um, go ahead and do it i guess we're not going to stop you but so anyways we're at we're at the point where it'll be interesting to see what the government does um as far as i know they the government hasn't taken a position as to whether or not they'd accept the amendments uh or reject them if the so i mean jason Kenny or premier kenny i guess at this point um uh, as well premier as premier jason as well as premier industry, kenny is his father as well as the ISG, as well as conservative senators, have all come on board with the bill in its present form. Yes. Um, and that has allowed the bill to pass through third reading in a reasonably timely manner. Yes. Um, there hasn't been a lot of use of dilatory tactics. I mean, frankly, very little, if none. Well, I'm sure they'd be thrilled if it passed right now. It's like um, it's basically just completely undoes anything good that was in the bill. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would say that's the case. Um, There's still good stuff in the bill, from my uh, point of view. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, from my point of view, I guess, not really yours. <laughs> <laughs> um. So all all of that is to say, I guess this is one of the biggest question marks remaining on the legislative agenda, is what the government chooses to do with it. Yes. Um, I, I would say it is like the big legislative question mark over this parliament right now. If they reverse all of the amendments. Yes. Or throw. I mean, the government's going to accept some for sure. I but would imagine so. Yes. The the more substantial ones. Um. If they opt to remove those or gut those or however you want to call it then it proceeds to be a showdown yeah um i think then you have the stage set for conservative obstructionism and for a ping pong back and forth from the senate insisting on amendments which is going to happen at the end of session when perhaps the house is no longer there yes um so so we'll see and will they extend for that i think the answer is probably. Well... So here's the other... NAFTA, well, NAFTA's yeah. the kicker in here's all Here's the other prong of this, too, right? Is when the House is sitting, there is question period. When the House is sitting, MPs are here. I don't know if anyone's aware of this, but the M- the, the party currently with the most MPs is the Liberals. Uh, and their MPs would rather be back in their home writings, knocking on doors, because, once again, I don't know if anyone's heard of this, but there is an election in October. What? Um, so from the point of view of the Liberal government, having MPs away from doorsteps and instead in question period getting yelled at so that they can pass some like you know semicolons uh that this that they're arguing with the the senate over is like not really their idea of a good time because I mean you you alluded to it but let me let me just make it a little more clear um because they have the majority government you know they have 160 some odd MPs who are gonna have to be in Ottawa yes um, meanwhile, all of the competitors of those are going to be on the doorstep because they don't have are, to be in Ottawa. Are on you don't have to bring your opponents with you. Exactly. Or they're not required to go with you, I suppose. Um, so in every of their ridings, their opponents are getting advantages. They'll, I mean, th- this is the classic incumbency problem for yes. MPs who are challenged at their nominations. Yes, because the the person running against them in the nomination is all the time in the world, well, comparatively, at least all the time in the riding. Yes. To to you know sell memberships etc. So where the MP has to be even Ottawa most t- of the time two and a half day weekends yeah um, so and you know often less than that if you're yeah. actually in the travel and those are their off days yeah exactly or their their theoretical off days where the 
maybe do a few community events, but if they yeah. ever intend on seeing their family, yes, um, then the solution is not to have one. Tough. By the way, yeah, that's yes. the easy mode. Ba- bachelors um, MP should exclusively be bachelors. Yes, that we can have more. Yeah, I'm not going to go there to be honest. <laughs> Bachelors um, and bachelorettes. I, yeah, I, that's I use that term and it's inclusively unisex capacity. Yeah. So at any rate, I think they they want to be in Ottawa as little as possible. But on the other hand, they like they kind of have to pass this bill. They kind of have to get NAFTA through. It's like <laughs> which yeah. which way are you taking objection to there? Well, the, the, I mean, Trump is imposing supposedly tariffs on Mexico on Monday. So oh Jesus, what over? Uh, uh, who cares? The, well, no, this is the escalating 25% tariff that he tweeted about sort of randomly the other day I, over, over honest, immigration man, concerns. I did not see this. Yeah, this was a big deal. Okay. Um, over immigration concerns, Trump uh, basically announced an escalating tariff until they stemmed immigration flows. To be honest, at this point for me, Trump is just like having a lot of fun with like the, the fun stuff. Like the him saying Meghan Markle was nasty. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> or like him, the picture of him in the hat. That's good stuff. <laughs> this is sort of so. like how I've tuned out Brexit entirely. Yeah, it's kind of like, like that. It's like everything's bad, you know. I've just it's all bad. I, I can't be bothered to pay attention to UK politics. Yeah, anymore. every time I look at Brexit, it's like Sir Hartley Snumbaugh is bringing out the <laughs> royal diamond, which will counter the use of the royal bishop by the Exeter of. Chumbly, and it's like whatever. I, mean, I don't that, care. That sounds like a dope game I'd play. <laughs> it does actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. At any rate, yeah, Brexit's stupid. Trump is is just a a lot. So yeah, there we are with that. Um, so I mean, I I put that package that all up. I think I mean there's a whole bunch of other periphery legislation, including the under PMB. That's the source of some controversy these yes. days. Um, or. I don't know if controversy is the right way to frame that, but... Um, speculation. Not speculation either. Speculation. Yeah. I don't even know that's the right word. I, I don't know how to phrase it. Water cooler chat. Sure. Um, so, there's... I mean, it's legislative crunch time, um, but beyond the fact that it's legislative crunch time... In the legislative time, red zone! There is not a ton going on. Um, in so Apart far, from the aforementioned stuff we said at the beginning of the episode. Well, yes, but I, I mean, everything is basically happening in the legislative front and then sort of on the platform development front. Yes. All of the broader policy processes in Ottawa are beginning to wind down. Like, the government is not starting new consultations on X, really. Yeah. Um, they're not developing or releasing big policies. They're just trying to get, you know, final regs out the door for summer. Um, they're trying to put the final pieces together before the government formally transitions into caretaker mode over the course of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so, it's it's the government winding down in advance of the election. So after all that talk about legislative hair splitting, I want to talk about legislative log splitting. What, what do you... I want to talk about the BC legislature's inquiry <laughs> into the speaker's report. was led by, uh, so, by have, former CJ McLaughlin, too. Have you so. read the report? I actually haven't gotten a chance to read the report, so I was hoping you had. So we can, you can, you can I, at least I, be I, a big gleeful over it. I haven't read the report, haven't read the report either. either. No. So I did see, basically, like the long and short of it was that uh, Ch- former Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin uh, came to BC to investigate these claims of just enormously hilarious wrongdoing uh and basically found that while the former clerk of the legislature uh mr james 
um, had had probably done all the bad stuff that the speaker said he did. The former sergeant at arms, Mr. Lenz, did not, and Mr. Plekis, the speaker, was very distraught by this, by all accounts. Yes, uh, and he, I think there's a secret recording, and he teed off against Beverly McLaughlin and all, all of these things. <laughs> Honestly, BC just gets better and better all the time. But I, I do have to completely confess, I haven't gotten around to reading that yet. That's really too bad, eh? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, one of the updates I was hoping to do at so some th- point. This is, this is a real, like, confession moment for me and Chan. It's like, we spent a good, like, long time discussing what we're going to talk about this episode, and we were kind of like... Yeah, like, we didn't get a chance to do that because we... Like, this is the reality of it. We both, like, work on and around politics. And, like, it is a busy season for people who work in that broad broad line of work. So we've been a little, a little underwater. Yeah. So... Re- regrettably, no one has asked me at work to further investigate McLaughlin. McCla- uh, we should really read McLaughlin, that soon. McLaughlin's... McLaughlin. McLaughlin. You really can't do names, eh? You've had one beer right? <laughs> you're done. <laughs> no names. Be- Beverly McLaughlin's report of uh, yeah. the BC legislature. Man, it'd be hilarious if you were ever, like, in some kind of, like, uh, resistance cell, and you got captured, and they tried to torture the names out of you, and you just, like, kept <laughs> fucking it up. <laughs> would admittedly not go well. No, I think it would be like, no, guys, you can skip this one. He's not going to give you anything useful. <laughs> Natural uh, self-defense mechanism. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, actually, there there is one other thing I'd like to bring up. Okay. You, I'm, I'm not sure you'll be surprised. This has been a sort of a long-burning issue. Keyforge. Not not Keyforge. Key Forge. Um, our good friend, Commissioner Maradzion. Oh, yeah. So, a, a bit of an update on some of the... You know, there was a report recently, but it was about some guy I'd never heard of, so I didn't really read it. Oh no, not yeah. not what I'm. Oh, okay, go ahead. About to reference here. Um, so I wrote an article. You did. It appeared um, in policy options. In policy options, based on along with our friend Tom Jarman. Uh, yes, based on an email that the commissioner had sent around quite some moons ago, basically changing uh, the rules yes. on the fly yes. for reporting public which, office holders, which we've talked about. Which are, yeah, I'm just yes. doing a little okay. recap, um, which are exempt staff and ministers, uh, exempt staff being both political staff, civil servants, ministers, etc., uh, parliamentary secretaries, and the list goes on. Um, but in doing my research for the article, I reached out to the commissioner's office and I asked them very pointed questions. Um, and in response to a lot of those questions, they said, we are... We don't comment on hypotheticals. Yes, yes. we are unwilling or unable to comment on hypotheticals. Um, the story was picked up by a Hill Times reporter um, who actually got to sit down and do an interview with Mario Zion. Um And in that interview, uh, she asked him very pointedly whether or not essentially the questions that I had tried to ask them and they refused to, whether or not the new restrictions would apply to cabinet ministers, uh, cabinet ministers and prevent them from going over and doing other positions like becoming an ambassador or whether, whether or not the cool down would. Yeah. Cause as we mentioned in the episode, we talked about this, Stefan Dion and John McCallum would have potentially run into problems. Yes. And, but the other hypothetical here would be say, uh, in, you know, Earth 278, um, Jody Wilson-Raybould did join the Conservative Party per all the 
theories whether or not she would be subject to a cool-down period that would prevent her from uh, being a member of the conservative cabinet. Mm-hmm. And my reading and the reading of many other people of this was, in fact, yes. And that was the commissioner's initial response. Yeah. Um, but as I understand, the commissioner later followed up to be like, whoa. Whoops, this was a stupid decision. No, no. Uh, and had a, had a different answer, basically, when on a follow-up, changed positions and said... A reporting public office holder cannot both be subject to the cool-down period and the uh, reporting public office... You can't be both a former reporting public office holder and a reporting public office holder simultaneously. So you can take the position because it triggers your turnover and status, which then voids the fact that you're subject to these post-employment yes, restrictions. Which makes sense. I mean, frankly, that like that is the, like, I think the common sense reading, I, right? But, like, well, I mean, of the statute, like, not of his interpretation. Like, I think, like, it would be just on its face ludicrous in our system of government if people who were in government could, like, it just doesn't really make sense, right? Like, it's not consistent with how Westminster parliamentary systems work. So, it, I think it's, like, there's there's a big common sense reading here that you kind of have to think about. I, so, I don't know if, like, based on a plain reading of the statute, which is what his defense of the reinterpretation was that it was just no a, i don't think a, that a was plain... his defense like I, I don't think that was his defense i'm just saying that from that perspective no that, that, that was his defense oh was it really okay. yeah when when asked as to why he made this change he said a, it was a plain reading of the statute that entity uh, oh sorry that his initial decision yes 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 that's what i'm saying is i think what he's saying now that that doesn't apply makes much more sense I mean, I still think the initial, yeah, the initial thing he did where he, he read entity to include federal public sector entities was a bad decision that didn't make any sense on its face, given the context and intent of the act. Yes. Right? If you are a pedant about words, fine. But frankly, you know, it was silly. But, so all, all of this to say is it looked like he had made the first restrictions on the composition of cabinet in Canadian history. <laughs> Um, have there never been any? No, no, I guess not. There's, I mean, there's been a there's, there's been a no reason convention that you don't have a ton of senators in cabinet. I guess yes, and, and that they pursue a seat in the House of Commons after yeah. X Y Z. But yeah. there have never been restrictions on who you can put in the cabinet. Um, it looked like he just sort of backdoor reinterpreted the law to do this. Yes, um, to which he has now basically stated in a single interview that that is not the case. But we don't really know because who knows what he might say in a future interview or interpretation. Which is sort of the problem in the entire process. Um, and this is one of the reasons I've had big issues with the process is because, you know, there's never been a rationale. There's never been a thorough explanation of the change and the consequences of the change and what that means for you. Um, it was sent in an email that no one was really aware of. Yes. Um, and then Which changed. he acknowledged. He was like, yeah, some people don't check their emails. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, then, and then updated in an FAQ. Yeah. Um, without, without designating what the new portions were either. That was the best part. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. There's, there's, there's certainly some problems. Yeah, go, go to GitHub, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, but so, long, long story short... Um, if you're not familiar with this, you can read the article or check back a few a few episodes where, where we talk about this in I'll, the... I'll put both of those things in the notes. Why not? Sure. Why not? 
Um, but I mean, it sort of loops back to one of the questions we raised in the earlier, uh, in one of our previous episodes about uh, officers of parliament. Yes, and, that was like two episodes you know, ago. The the rest the referee capacity that they operate in, and yes, who who watches the Watchmen, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are instances of good process and bad process coming out of these offices. Yeah, because I mean, you, it is very different. If you look at like, the Information Commissioner or the Privacy Commissioner, there's like really rigid. Like, first of all, the statute is much better defined in their cases, sure. and like they have more of a budget, frankly. Uh, but like they are clearly like there's more of a process they have much more of like a quasi law enforcement capacity the conflict of interest commissioner is not really in that position the statute is is vaguer i think in some of the ways we've talked about and certainly in ways which lead to these these kinds of interpretations um and it's just yeah like they have less of a guide mary dawson faint her his predecessor famously like a friend to someone you invite for thanksgiving dinner like there's a lot of weird little things in the law that make it difficult. And frankly, I mean, I, I've said this before, I'm 90% sure, but like, it's tough to really write a definitive ethics code that takes into account every possible permutation of, and that's when you start, start yes. turning it into statute. People start playing games with technicalities rather than just trying to conduct themselves in a way that befits the office. Um, you know, it, I don't think that that was necessarily a great step in yeah. in some ways. I think in other ways it was good, but it, it has sort of led to this kind of like, it's the first place people go when there's wrongdoing. I think if you look at the SNC scandal and how the liberals were like, well, the ethics commissioner is investigating, so we can't talk about this. And it's like, no, we can, because this is a political scandal that's playing out in real time. And in a democracy, citizens deserve to have this aired in a public forum, not just in a closed room where the ethics commissioner and like three legal analysts are looking it over. Right. Like it's, that's just not how democracy works. Yeah. And I mean, that's the the upside and the downside of it is, yeah. you know, the ethics commissioner it takes has... it out of the political realm, but on the upside, it takes it out of the political realm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it, it really cuts both ways yes. when fundamentally accountability in our system is designed to be political accountability rather than, accountability to a toothless referee who has the ability to impose hundred dollar non-compliance fines for administrative paperwork it's kind of funny if you look at the u.s right now too with the the trump stuff right it's like people had were like holding out for this like explosive Mueller report that was basically like okay congress do your job and congress was like "Mm, don't know about that Fairly different situation. Well, but yeah, I just mean in certain, the sense that like that dichotomy of yes. like like legal, judicial, and political accountability is sort of very different mechanisms. I, I think broadly, a lot of people want to like that was not the intern for the record. <laughs> Robotic intern. He's fine. Uh, have an inclination to appeal to the referee. Yes. Uh, oh, oh, ref, and ref, this. It is a very liberal, small L instinct, and, right? And you that, see, like, it, there, there ought to be an institution or a law that can handle this, rather than like let's contest this politically. And you see it in policy making a fair bit. If you go to conferences or you read uh, submissions to committees on you know various pieces of legislation, um, what will often come up is the recommendation to make an officer of parliament yes. for X area. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what area you're talking about, there are always people who think that it requires a referee. Yes. Um, and to a large extent, the opposite is true. Um, referees should be in very exceptional positions um, where MPs are conflicted in ways so as to not be able yeah. 
to properly provide oversight. Yeah. And that's where things like, you know, determining like conflict of interest makes, makes a certain amount of sense. Ethics, eh, not, not as well, much. And people, I mean, like he's not really an ethics commissioner in any real, like he doesn't have any enforceable quote unquote ethics powers. It's like about gifts, I guess is the closest thing, but that once again is really about conflict of interest, right? Like that's really what the, the quasi judicial aspect of his role is. Like there's, there's really nothing about ethics. As such, I just think that in Canadian politics, we are used to talking about an ethics, you know, critic or you know, an ethics committee. So we needed an ethics commissioner, right? Like, even though that's not really his job in no. a meaningful sense, it, it is substantially more in the conflict of interest realm. Yeah, um, which a lot of people see as interchangeable with ethics. Um, yes, but but is not necessarily the case. Um, so yeah, anyways, that's a, sort of an update to the uh, to the reporting public office holder saga. Um, that, wow, that, what a saga. That, <laughs> that has been ongoing. Our but. scalds will sing of it by the hearth for generations. Here, here we are. Yeah. Um, so, anything else? Not really. I think, uh, have you read any good books lately? I don't know. I am mm, halfway through. I think his name's Chris Turner. Chris Turner's The Patch? Not familiar with it. Oh, I think you've mentioned this before. I might, I might have that name wrong. Yeah. Uh, he's a former Green candidate who wrote a book about the oil industry in Alberta. Um, Sorry, is this one that's good or not good? This is... I mean, there are a lot of really, <laughs> really bad books. Yes. You've mentioned... Um, you basically have like a, a small little card catalog in your head of like <laughs> every book about Fort McMurray that you don't like. Um, but this one has actually been... So I... So I put a little bit of an asterisk. I'm only, I'm only about halfway through. So I haven't got to any of the, I guess, grand conclusions about anything. But mm-hmm. it, it's largely just descriptive of the, at this point. Um, but it's description of sort of how the industry came to be, where it is, etc. Um, I would say it's very good. Sub- substantially better than many other What's the one you really um, don't like? Books. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but it was absolutely brutal. Blood Oil? Was that it? No. no. I, I have it on my bookshelf. Okay. <laughs> Why? Because it's so Just bad. Stare at it. Oh, it makes me so mad. Um, but my my only real point of criticism with this one is he thinks that people in Fort McMurray say they work at the site when it's just site. True. So yeah, it's a th- technical technical difference. But yeah. here we are. Well, it's fairly very small. One one definite article's worth of difference. <laughs> yes. Um. But so so reasonably minor objection, which is why I'm you know have have no issues with this book so far. Excellent. Well, that's good. I read uh, Guy Gervil K's The Brightness Long Ago, which just came out, which was good. Sort of like a historical fantasy about uh, Renaissance Italy. It's good. I enjoyed it. it he's, his books are kind of, they have a bit of a, of a rhythm to them, but uh, if you like the rhythm, if it works for you, it's good. Are there, are there assassins? There, yes, there are, actually. Assa- it's Assassin's Creed 2? Not quite Assassin's Creed 2 level, uh, but no, it's a good book. If you, I, if you have an interest in historical fiction... His stuff isn't really historical fiction. It's like historical fantasy where it's like Europe with uh, the, the serial numbers filed off and a little bit more of the <laughs> of the mystical, but it's very good. I think he's a very fun writer. Uh, I would like to give a longer longer dump of my thoughts about his books, but perhaps perhaps not the right venue. That's it. That's all. Okay, very good. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, let's do the beer review real quick before we wrap up. Uh, we had Stone City uh, in Kingston, a brewery that we, we stopped by uh on our our mutual way to uh prince edward county the other weekend correct and um really good stuff frankly in general like i i think their their offerings are extremely good 
uh, at the beer level. The food was also good, for that matter. I, if you're ever in Kingston, stop by. Yeah, Stone City's very good. Uh, they've been around for a few years. I uh, often stop there on the way to Prince Edward County. One of their brewers has just gone uh, to start their own brewery in Prince Edward County, uh, Prince Edward County called Matron. Yes. Um, which is quite literally under construction. I think they're just getting towards the end of that, and they have a few beers that are circulating in restaurants around yes, Ottawa. Yes, I, I had one a couple weeks ago, and it was very good. Around Ottawa and other parts of uh, southern Ontario. Do we count as southern Ontario? We're eastern Ontario here. Are we southeastern Ontario? No, we're just eastern Ontario. Just eastern Ontario. Yeah. Uh, southern and eastern Ontario. <laughs> well, I mean, we're southern other... Ontario from northern Ontario's point of view, but we are eastern Ontario. Yeah, we're, we're pretty south. I don't disagree with that, but we're also uh, much further north than like Windsor. On the on the basis alone that we are, you know, stones, not northern Ontario. Well, no, stones throw from the border. Yes, we are in that strip that everyone always off quotes of you know the seventy five percent of Canadian population within fifty miles or however many miles. Yeah, um, that, yeah. That so at any rate, south. to to circle back to the the beer. Uh, we had a Yacht Rock, which is their goes, uh, which is very tasty. I think a, a really nice, refreshing. Uh, it's 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 one to have on the patio. Don't know if I'd recommend it in like February, but this is like peak peak season for it. Uh, highly recommend. Very good. Very good. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.